I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. I just have to remember the three words I always say. You're supposed to say, and it activates the podcast. We love to... <clears throat> yeah, they like the way I do this. When I crank it like a chainsaw. Yeah, they like the way I do this. When I crank it like a chainsaw Full throttle, heavy metal, set the bar, next level Wasteland, getting all janky, so glow Chainsaw Let it go with them elbows back It's smoking just like this track Shirt is over from all this sweat Catch my breath Chainsaw Now hear me roar, I'm an ape That predator from the sycamore That's the Giscalator Chainsaw Have I been misspelling our podcast name is Love to One Word? <laughs> no, it's we love to <coughs> watch. Hey, Pete. Hey, Carrie. Hi. Welcome back to our show. It you have not been on the show, Carrie, since April. That's right. It's been six months. I've really That's missed you guys. It's that so nice long. to be back. We are so happy to have you back. We now, for us, you. thankfully, we only had to wait three months to talk to you again because of time displacement. But they've uh, been pandemic months, which is its pandemic. own timeline. Yeah. Each month is a year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and March was three years. Um, yeah, but if you don't know us, where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast, we pick a theme, we do movies over the course and of which I totally lost that thread early. Uh, we pick a theme and do movies over the course of that month on that theme. Once I lose it, it does not come back. Uh, and this month, this spooktober, our most holy haunted ground, we are doing Evil Dead Month, which is all the Evil Dead movies and related properties, which includes the remake and Ash versus the Evil Dead. And we're in our fourth entry. Which, for this purposes, is uh, Army of Darkness, the least horror uh, entry in the series, and also the one that made me fall in love. And just actually, not just fall in love, be be aware of the series, because I had, this is the first one I ever saw. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, one very quick notice in previous Octobers, we have done horror recaps for the 31 new horror movies in October that Peter and I like to do. Uh, we have turned those into separate episodes. So if you are just turning in for the first time in this October on this episode for some odd reason, know that if you look in our feed, you should be able to see those if you are interested in uh, hearing Peter and I talk about all the new horror that we are subjecting ourselves to, to the point where we get sick of horror, usually <laughs> for a little bit, at least a week, sometimes yeah. longer. Uh, it's, um, it's like the feeling of eating too much cake. But we're joined, as you've heard, uh, by uh, our uh, executive producer uh, and best friend of the show, Carrie Nelson. Carrie, thank you so much for coming back on to talk about Army of Darkness, a movie that I legitimately have no idea what your thoughts are. And I was a little bit surprised that you picked it when I gave you the options, only because really? I feel like our next, only because I feel like our next month. Um, entries, which I think you had a, a choice of either three or four of them. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is what everyone else that I and that we ended up giving options to for our, that guest, the guest list for um, October, November ended up picking. Oh, interesting. Like, just because I feel like when you're doing like 
90s nostalgia stuff about movies that people have feelings about um they tend to go really quickly when we when we have months like that so uh the fact that they, they it was open and you picked army of darkness was a little bit um surprising so i'm very interested to hear uh how you feel about this uh the series and the movie but first before we get into all that carrie if for some completely unacceptable reason no one's ever heard you on this podcast uh, before can you please introduce yourself to our listeners? I would love to. Hi, my name is Carrie. Uh, I am a documentary film person, and I live in New York. And, uh, you know, spending a lot of time at home these days, <laughs> as everyone should be. So yep. my life is tremendously exciting. <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah, what's your what's your top three walls you've looked at lately? <laughs> you know, like initially, it was like this is living hell. I can't do this, and now I'm like, oh, I think I went a like a week without going outside. I should probably take a walk. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, we are we're doing Army of Darkness, which. Uh, it it is a it is a left turn for this series, although not as much as you'd think. I think we we talked about in our very first episode that Sam Raimi is not really a fan of horror movies. He made Evil Dead as a way to because he felt like he could get financing for it and then felt like he could do a lot of technique related camera work and other things that and and kind of jokes in their extremities that he could still have fun personally making a horror film. We also talked about in our Evil Dead episode that he essentially had some, even though he made some successful movies, he had struggles in Hollywood up until the point that Spider-Man was made. And then even those struggles came back around with Spider-Man 3. So, like, the the creative freedom that he enjoyed was something that he always was fighting to earn in bits and pieces, and he didn't win that many wars overall. Um, and so he... You know, he makes, as we talked about, he makes Evil Dead successful. He doesn't get anything he wants trying to make Crime Wave. The studio keeps uh, demanding who's the lead, what they want to see in the movie, and ultimately ends up being not successful. Uh, Then he gets the opportunity to make Evil Dead 2, which we talked about last week, where they gave him money, but it was like after six years, he's back making an Evil Dead movie, and he essentially decides that if he's going to make another Evil Dead movie, he is going to make a Three Stooges movie with blood because that's what he was interested in making. That became an amazing movie. And then, you know, he makes Darkman. And part of his deal with Darkman is that he gets to make his sequel to Evil Dead, which was always planned at the end of Evil Dead 2. It's this great cliffhanger, uh, completely out of nowhere, seemingly, that Ash has been transported back in time. And so he made a deal uh, when it came to making Darkman that he got to make a sequel to Evil Dead set in essentially the 1300s. And it was an excuse for him to do an Arthurian, uh, goofy uh, time travel comedy uh, where someone is out of place in time under the trappings of a budget and a movie that could get approved based on Evil Dead success. So... While he was giving a lot of creative freedom to make the movie, once the movie went from, which was produced by uh, Dino De Laurentiis, 
once it went from the production to uh, Universal, who was distributing it, uh, that's when all of his conflicts started. And we'll we'll get into more detail about that before we actually start talking about the movie, because there is a lot of different cuts and releases uh, that, that are uh, a result of that friction between uh, the movie that he had made um, and the movie that Universal wanted to release. Um, so yeah, this 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 is again though. At the end of the day, this is Sam Raimi making an Evil Dead movie as a way to essentially make another different kind of movie that he wasn't able or didn't think he would be able to get the freedom or the budget or the support to make. Um, so as such, I, I feel like this movie, even looking over some letterbox reviews of people we follow and contemporary re- reviews at the time, feel like this was a step down from Evil Dead Two. Um, and I think even now the, the reputation of this movie is, is pretty generally strong, but not, not the runaway success that people consider Evil Dead 2 to be. Now, I've referenced that this was the one that got me introduced to the series. I'll, I'll share that, uh, in a little bit, but, um... For now, I'm interested in hearing, Peter, we heard last week you got introduced to Evil Dead and fell in love through Evil Dead 2. Interested to hear what, uh, what, what, when you saw this movie, what your thoughts were, especially in comparison to having seen an Evil Dead movie before and, and seeing this as like, oh, this is a weird way to take it. And Carrie, extremely interested in your entire history with the series and where Army of Darkness fits in that for you, so... Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Aaron. So the, uh, I think I talked funny last week about Evil Dead 2 and what it means to me. Um, (laughs) or I will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, too much. I would honestly too much, Peter. Uh, You rarely are the over talker, but like it was 90% you. Charlie left halfway through, (laughs) called your mom, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mom, Peter won't let me talk. <laughs> it was bad. I was purposefully made myself the host on Zoom so I could mute him whenever he started talking. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, I probably talked a bunch last week about Evil Dead 2, what it means to me. But the one thing that I want to focus on is that like Evil Dead 2 is like a, an aesthetic or stylistic nexus point for the series for me. Yeah. Um, because all, all the movies, all the shows... All, everything, I feel like, springs off of Evil Dead 2. Um, let me explain. So obviously Evil Dead 1 was not inspired by Evil Dead 2, but that's one direction you can go in, which is far more of a pure horror, barely comedic at all. It's maximalist, it's ridiculous, it's over the top, it's absurd, but it's not really funny, so to speak. Um, Evil Dead 2 starts off as that kind of movie, and then as it goes on... Um, it ratchets up the ridiculousness. It starts implementing more of that Three Stooges dash like Looney Tunes cartoonishness, but it still stays, I think, firmly a horror movie. Um, yeah, it's gross as shit. It's awesome. It's still firmly a horror movie. It's very intense. We we yeah. talked about that last week, likely. Yeah, because I say it all the time that it like for as funny as it is, it is still kind of a grueling, intense eighty minutes because there's just so much thrown at you for so long. Exactly. And uh, and then uh, on another sort of like uh, spoke on this wheel um, is uh, this wheel of Evil Dead 2 um, is Army of Darkness, which is taking that uh, Looney Tunes style um, approach to the material, but also making Ash's suffering funny 
and expanding on it and blowing it up out of proportion and, and really taking Sam Raimi's torture of Bruce Campbell on set, like to do new, new grounds. Um, yeah. And then almost in a sense, I feel like Ash versus Evil Dead exists maybe halfway between Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, you know? Um, it, it's uh, it, it, it's definitely super comedic definitely super silly but it's still a, a straight up horror movie so like in a sense i feel like evil dead is like the central evil dead 2 is the central talking point of the series not evil dead 1 um yeah and that army of darkness is the farthest it went off in one direction which makes it fucking fascinating because it feels way closer to an amblin movie or indiana jones than it does to evil dead 1 or the evil dead and i love it for that but it's crazy that over these past 30 years that its rep has changed to the point where, like, this is now kind of people's favorite. Uh, to the point that it reflects how people feel about, like, the 2013 remake or Ash vs. Evil Dead or even the first movie. Like, the, the consensus has changed so much. But, yeah, Carrie, what's what's your kind of history with these movies? Is this your favorite one? What's your favorite one? What do you, what do you got? So, I've seen Army of Darkness several times, but it's actually the only one I've seen. Interesting. Um, wow. That's actually yeah. perfect. That's kind of perfect, yeah. actually. Um, I thought about, when you sent me the list, I actually thought about maybe picking one of the earlier Evil Deads because I hadn't seen them, and then... I've thought about it more and felt like no, Ar like Army of Darkness is a movie like I actually like and I know I like it, so I'm just gonna stick with what I know. <laughs> um, but two things that Aaron said earlier, and I hadn't even really thought of these as like part of why I like this movie so much. Um, but two things that stood out is that it is the least horror of the franchise, and I, I have I I. I feel like I've probably talked about this at some point, but now that I'm thinking back to it, I'm not sure when I would have because I feel like I actually haven't been on that many horror episodes. You were um, on Carrie and Tucker on, and Dale. Yeah, but not. I think that's it. Um, yeah. But I have a weird relationship with horror where yeah. I really love it a lot, but I'm very picky about it and I usually assume... Actually, I shouldn't even say I'm picky about it. I usually assume that something is going to be too much for me. And then I mm. watch it and then it's not. So, or sometimes it is. But like, I, I often don't have a good gauge of where my boundaries are going to be with horror. So I end up staying away from a lot of stuff. And I have been married to a horror guy for, you know, years now. And Jason, right? Jason, yeah. A um, guy. Yeah. <laughs> Ski mass and everything. Yeah. Hell, hell and, uh, <laughs> Which one's funny? <laughs> um, but like he in he's kind of slowly over time introduced me to a lot of horror, knowing or having like a sense of of where my boundaries of all that stuff is. So he must have been the first person who showed me Army of Darkness, kind of knowing like this is one that you will be fine with it and you will probably enjoy. And then that segues over into the second thing that you said, which is talking about nostalgia picks. And like this for me is a nostalgia pick. Like yeah. this for me is thinking about early 20s parties 
And like, this is such like an early 20s movie party kind of movie watch for me. Like having yeah. having a having a bunch of friends over, having some beers. You know, this is that kind of movie. Oh, so yeah. oh, I yeah. hadn't I hadn't actually watched it in probably a few years. I hadn't I definitely hadn't watched it since my last two rewatches of Schindler's List. Um, because I totally forgot M. Beth Davids is the girl. <laughs> we're gonna talk we're gonna talk It took me a that. half second to realize where you were going with it. And then I remember <laughs> the, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, okay. Well they came out that's the wild thing, they came out the same year. They did, yeah. Yeah. And like yeah. to talk Bruce about Campbell the has a two whole bit about that. <laughs> What does Bruce Campbell has a whole bit oh, on the gosh. on the Blu-ray about how he's like he's like yeah we train them for the B movies and then we <laughs> we we send them off you know to go do the the real pictures but like, we we gave her you know what she needed to go do a Schiller's list like he's joking I, but. and I remember there was a Raimi commentary they we we kind of talked how they've recorded so many commentaries for these movies because they do try to give you some level of new value as they over they release them over and over but i do remember a Raimi one that said that uh like oh yeah wonderful access clear that she was going going somewhere big um and proved it by never talking to us again right based on the movie that she was able to do right after this one <laughs> <laughs> i mean like the, the 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 movies and the roles themselves could not be more different and yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um <laughs> so it was it was very funny to me to see her in that tonight. Um but the only she other She has such a, a, a grandeur to the movie. She does have that like v- very dramatic, like very like stoic kind of performance and then she also gets to be silly. Like she's She's a lot great. Of, she's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, she's great. Um the only other Evil Dead uh experience i've had is the one time i've been to vegas i saw evil dead the musical i have wanted to see that so bad it's and I so much fun i god do i want to see it um and i i almost feel like there there was talk of a filmed version or something and maybe there is one that i need to look for because i even have avoided listening to the soundtrack because i'm like there's got to be a situation in my life while I'm on Earth, that I can manage to see it either in recorded version or live. Oh yeah, I think uh, it's I think it's been playing in Vegas forever. So if you ever find yourself out there, uh, when when you know going places is a thing again, um, mm. it's it's fun. <laughs> uh, they there when we were booking tickets, they said like you know do you want to sit in like the tarp <laughs> section or not. It's like, oh, what's that going to be? So we sat right behind the tarp section, which is where, like, all of, like, the blood effects goes out in, like, the splash zone. Hell yeah. It's very good. I was going to ask if it it would be weird if it was unrelated to the Evil Dead musical. (laughs) And you're like, oh, opening act Gallagher. (laughs) (laughs) Like, ah, sorry, it's going to rain tonight and there's a hole in the roof we just don't feel like fixing. So that's the tarp (laughs) section. Exactly. Uh, Oh, you thought because of Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Oh, yeah, I get it. No, no. (laughs) That Caro syrup gets everywhere. It's so sticky. It's it's gross. No, no. Yeah. So that's why, even though I haven't seen the original two movies, I feel like I have a sense of like what the story is, having seen the musical, which I think I, is yeah, basically curious. the first two movies plot wise. I am curious if uh, we doubled back with you in a little bit, like if you like 
Aaron, should she double back all the way to the first one? Should she take no. gradual steps and do Evil no, Dead I, Two? Like what? So I yeah, as as we've talked about, I did I did it in reverse order. I did Army of Darkness. I did Evil Dead Two, and then Evil Dead. And I think my 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 recommended order, if you're committed to seeing all three, would just be to see them in order. If you're unsure. I would recommend going to Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. If you're like me and now Carrie and saw Army of Darkness first, my recommendation would be to go back to Evil Dead 2. Because I feel like that is the bridge, as you mentioned, Peter. And yeah, I so I saw this. I didn't know I didn't know anything about Evil Dead. I was 15, not a horror person, both from just I didn't really as I as I've said many times in the show, it took me a while to kind of get into horror movies, didn't really start till later in high school and then kind of became more and more obsessed with it as a genre and watched a ton of stuff that I'd missed. But, uh, yeah, was not a horror person at all. So I didn't even know about this series. Um, and, uh, a, fr- a really good friend of mine when I was 15, uh, one of those good friends where we would, you know, do just play PlayStation. He had a car. Um, and so we'd go rent movies. And so he introduced me to, a few stuff that I really liked. He had a very specific test. He was also my friend, Peter. Um, I don't know. Oh no, that episode will have come out. So he was the same friend, Mark Edgerly, who uh, got me into techno, which we talked quite a lot about uh, on uh, that. Don't you dare nineties techno. Um, and uh, got me really like kind of back into transformers. I was big into them when I was a kid, but like had had all these like recorded copies of the cartoon and uh, rented this. Like and was like, oh, this movie's great. You should see it. Um, and I like loved it immediately. Like it was. It's one of those movies where five minutes in, I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm absolutely in love. And that it stayed that way for the entirety of the movie, and and just I became immediately evangelical about it. I went and bought a copy the next day, um, showed it to my brother, showed it like I this is this is a movie on the show that I've seen probably more than most. Like I I've, I've probably seen this movie a couple hundred times. I was wow. I spent most of high school and college just introducing this movie specifically to people and then also it became one of those movies where if you knew Evil Dead, if you knew um Army of Darkness that I was probably going to become fast friends with you because it was an immediate point of connection. I think before it, at at the very least, whether it's the internet or Bruce Campbell's book or whatever else, like, or just the fact that all of this happened between Bismarck and Fargo, North Dakota, where I grew up and where I went to college, um, it it felt like it was something that I was discovered or had discovered and was introducing to so many different people in my life. Um, and so, yeah, I, I probably watched this 10 or 15 times before even bothering to go back to evil dead Two, And then loved that quite a bit, but never like never as much as army of darkness. Um, at least at the time, like it felt like army of darkness was this perfect, perfect movie. And what it was for me, I've, I've spent so, so long trying to like describe what, what itch this scratched for me and, and still does. Um, and I think the best way I can describe it is a movie I saw when I was six, you may have heard of, it's called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I was immediately in love with that movie. I think most people, um, who saw it, at least from my generation or our generation, um, were for the most part. I don't want to make broad. I, there's probably people that don't like it for good reasons. But um, my favorite scene in that movie was um, 
the scene where he the person pulls out the sword and does the sword routine and Indiana Jones pulls out the gun and shoots him. And I even as a kid, I was obsessed with that scene because it just felt like it was a movie that had done something I'd never seen before. It felt like it was breaking my understanding of what a movie was in a weird way enforced to do. Like uh, 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 heroes can't always or characters can't always solve the problem in the simplest way. They have to confront it on the movie's terms. So even though, yeah, it makes so much sense. Why wouldn't someone just do that? You can't do that because that's not as exciting for a movie. Um, and I and still that move that scene stands out, I think, for a lot of people because most movies don't always find that straight line between two points. Like, what's the simplest way or the most unexpected way or the most direct way to resolve this problem? Like, Indiana Jones didn't have honor or, quote-unquote, the conception of honor in that moment where this person is uh, does not have a gun and has shown his, uh, his prowess with the sword. And now, based on that, I need to confront him on his terms. He confronts them on his terms. Um, and so Army of Darkness, to me, when I first saw it, and I still feel this way feels like from a feels like almost a 85 minute adaptation of that moment in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You have this character who continually confronts um who is a, who is an uh, a time traveler and who is out of place and who normally in all these other time travel fish out of water stories like they can't just, oh, I can't just use my gun. I can't just use my chainsaw. I can't just use my car. I can't just call, like, this guy an asshole because I want to leave. Like, I have to uh, meet them on their terms because that's what a movie's supposed to do. And it felt like Army of Darkness spent the entire runtime in a way that I'd never seen before, which is constantly do the thing that in some ways made the most sense and was the simplest for the character to do. And I just was in awe of it. I really was like, and some of it is just cause I was 15 and, you know, had, hadn't seen as many examples of this and, and there, there definitely probably are other ones, but this movie, like it just, it, it feel, it felt like it didn't care about stuff that ultimately wasn't important. It felt like we don't need to know how he got his gun back after he falls into the pit. What's important What's important is is that it'd be fucking cool if he pulled out his gun in that moment. And ultimately, I'm, I can enjoy that moment for what it is as opposed to feeling like the audience needs to be explained everything about it. Like, I don't need to disguise the mat that he's going to fall on at the opening scene because the point is I need him to fall really far. And, and, and that's, that's the scene who cares if there's a map that the audience sees, because that's the easiest way to achieve that shot. So it like, it, it never felt lazy. It never felt like parody necessarily. It just felt like, why don't we just keep doing the thing that would make the audience excited in that moment? Yeah. And that's why I call it like a feature length, Indiana Jones pulls the gun because that is a moment where the audience gets what it kind of wanted and didn't know it. And this is a movie length version of that in a lot of ways. So that is my long winded reason why I fell in love with this movie. There's so much else to love about it because um, much like Indiana Jones is kind of incompetent. He kind of constantly gets into terrible problems and barely scrapes away from, you know, Ash is kind of like that too in this movie. He's generally incompetent. He's boorish. He is, he constantly tries to be an action hero 
based on almost like movies that we've both watched or everyone's watched and constantly fails at it and then somehow at the end stumbles his way uh, literally into success, partially because um, his the evil is is a, clo- a weird evil clone of him who is also a bumbling incompetent who. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just I mean, I just absolutely love this movie. And it has been a while since I've seen it, because I think for 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 pe- for movies where you at some point spent five years watching it every few weeks or something like that, you burn out a little and only watch it on special occasions. So it's probably been like five or six years since I've watched this. And yeah, I, I still loved every single Still loved every single minute of it. But I think that's why it's such a special movie. It really does something different than even the other Evil Dead movies and most other movies I've ever seen. So as someone who's seen it that many times, is it like when you go back to it now, is it the kind of thing where you notice new things that you love about it? Or is it more like it's so familiar that it just feels like coming home in a way? It's definitely the latter. Okay. I, I don't think I could notice something new about Army of Darkness if I tried. Like, yeah. I have I have moved well beyond that point with this with this movie. <laughs> totally fair. Um, yeah. Um, it's also probably why like I do not prefer the director's cut. Um even though I've seen the director's cut a couple times and I get what it's going for tonally, I I legitimately think the the producer's cut or the release version is better, but I'm also saying that with the grain of salt that I'd seen that version probably uh, 50 to 100 times by the time I got around to the director's cut, so I'm definitely not analyzing it as, like, someone who is comparing, you know, something with fresh eyes for the first time. Yeah, I've only seen the theatrical. I've never seen the director's cut. Yeah, there's a, uh, so Scream Factory put out a gorgeous uh, restoration of uh, all the three main cuts, which is um, the theatrical, which everyone has kind of seen. That's the 81 minute version. Uh, international cut, which is like 87 minutes. I don't really know why, unless you you have an Aaron situation where that was the cut you saw and you're really attached to it. Like, that makes sense. Uh, otherwise, I don't understand why you'd want the middle path. Uh, and then the uh, director's cut, which has a completely different ending. Uh, it's 15 minutes longer. Um, and it's it's more... It, the movie as it is, as it stands, is an extremely soft R. Like, I... I well, I and Universal wanted a PG-13. It was rated NC-17. And they cut out a little... Either. I don't get it either. They cut out a tiny bit. They cut out, like, a ton of stuff. Was that just and an association? the studio still said an R. Yeah, I don't that, know. Yeah, I that, think so. Was that just an association? Like they, the, the, they were like, "Oh, an Evil Dead movie. We should have given the last one an uh, a uh, NC seventeen, and then, you know, they just kind of settled on it." This the, may be wrong, but I remember, I remember someone saying that it felt like, uh, and this like by someone I literally mean I think it was just something I read on the internet ten years ago, but thinking that like had something to do with the fact that they ultimately decided to release uh, Evil Dead un- unrated, which was not, like, even even that many years later with different people, the MPAA was kind of seen as a middle finger to the process, and that Sam Raimi had had trouble with the MPAA for a long time as a result of that decision, but I don't know if that's accurate. It, it might be. I mean, they're a very political organization, and they're very petty and uh, homophobic organization, and they, 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 the way that the ratings are assigned is incredibly fucked up. But <clears throat> um, watch the, the, the uh, documentary, This Film Is Not Yet Rated, to find out more about that. Um, the problem still persists. So, um, 
the 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 director's cut is 15 minutes longer it's i think it moves just as speedily it's it, it you don't feel the 15 minutes but i no. think the ending is significant enough about it asks you a question of what kind of series you think it is and while i think um the ending of the director's cut is like the far more interesting ending uh, yeah. and it sets the series off on a, on a, on a direction that I think is far more, more, uh, interesting and it's more compelling for the character of Ash. Uh, the theatrical cut ending, that the happy ending they made them shoot, fits the finished film way more. Like, agreed. The, 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 it feels like they wrote an ending for Army of Darkness, this incredibly dark ending. They also had an incredibly dark opening intro, which is essentially oh, yeah. the same function. But way creepier. But really fucked up, yeah. But way creepier and more gory. Um, and they could use more footage from Evil Dead 2. Uh, and they essentially decided to, at some point in the process, redo the opening to make it uh, bloodless. Um, and make it a little bit more comic booky, and it'd be the way Ash remembers it. Um, and uh, the ending, they completely reshot. So do we want to talk about, like, uh, just get it over, like, get through here? Like, the ending, the difference between the ending and the, the theatrical ending? Because they are so... I feel like I feel like we should just get into the movie, and then we can talk about the difference as part of it. Because I feel like it's weird to talk about, I don't know, uh, to talk about the ending to uh, a movie that we haven't yet, like, done the plot recap for. But... So maybe we just go right into musical break um, and then kind of go start going through the whole thing. The one final thing I would say is that it is a director's cut that is has been super available for a long time. Like, uh, I don't know if you know this, Peter. So when I first bought Army of Darkness and when I went and bought it the, the next day, I bought it on VHS because that's that was the dominant format in 1999. Um, there. There was actually another – I had a debate between which version of Army of Darkness to buy because there was one in a fucking kick-ass hard case with a, um awesome-looking, like, Ash not – the, not the cover of the movie poster that you've seen with uh, him and, like, the low on gas, lost in time tagline, but, like, him with, like, his arms up. This red cover with like these armies in the background. That was the uh, director's cut. It was, it was released on VH, VHS. The reason I didn't buy it at the time is because it was a widescreen version. It was the only way to get it in widescreen was to get the director's cut on VHS. And at the time, I didn't want those black bars cutting off we were my also movie. Done. We were also done. So. <laughs> Um, cause I didn't, I didn't understand that actually when I, any, t- any movie I watched essentially at home, I was missing parts of the movie, but yeah, like that director's cut has, has weirdly been available for e- even in the VHS era. And I, I had to buy two DVDs, the director's cut and the, and the regular version when they came out and then eventually bought a repackaged DVD set with both versions called the Boomstick Edition. And then, yeah, I also have the Scream Factory one that has all three editions collected as well. Super pretty. So, yeah. It's a great transfer. Just like a gorgeous transfer of a, a goofy, silly, like, you know, late 80s, early 90s style uh, adventure movie. Uh, not supposed to look this good. It looks gorgeous. The Bill Pope photography is great. It's got that Pope. Got the Pope. He's got the Pope touch. Back when, back when he was a young Pope, I believe. Oh yeah, he was a he was a PYP, pretty young Pope. Um, yeah, that's gonna be my HBO show, the the young Bill Pope. <laughs> <laughs>
Do you guys want to talk more about um, uh, the other Army of Darkness, the one from this movie? Yes. <laughs> Not. Peter. Some alternate taglines for... Uh, okay, so alternate tagline. I, the problem is I really do like the actual tagline for this. Um, uh, yeah, how about... Uh, you want to see a guy pick up multiple books? <laughs> the original page master. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do wish it had been called their original title before they couldn't use it, which is the medieval dead. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's 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 the expert level title. Um, it describes the movie. They thought um, the the Universal thought it would sound too old and kids wouldn't want to go see it. Oh, which is weird because kids love knights and shit. This was the era. This wasn't this the era of medieval times and uh, you know like uh, Playmobil knight sets and kids starting to. Kid didn't think King Arthur's court. Kid in King Arthur's Court. This movie was directly inspired by that, and like I, I don't know. I feel like for the era, this was this would have been uh, catnip for kids. But then again, it's a it's a rated R movie, so it's supposed to be Universal wanted PG thirteen. I think. Hold I on, I don't know I, why it's rated R. It's this I is, this think PG fourteen or something. This is like barely barely not PG thirteen. I I think Carrie was talking about the Ian Thomas Nicholas movie Kid in King Arthur's Court. Yes. Were you? Okay. And I think Peter thought you were referencing the book that the kids in the 90s <laughs> loved. So I just want to sit and recognize that that's a moment that just occurred that was very funny to me. Wait, the, wait wasn't that also a kid's movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a kid's movie. Yeah. One, isn't that, what, that was a kid's movie, right? Yeah, it yeah. was a kid's movie, yeah. Oh, but there's also a book. Right well, right yeah. Right? I'm sorry. Well, like a Connecticut Yankee in King oh, Arthur's Court? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Oh, maybe now Peter didn't think you were... The way that Peter responded to it made it seem like he thought you meant the book. But anyway, Got it. Um, which was very funny to me. Carrie, you and I can catch up later. <laughs> we'll have a book club on this and we'll figure it out. I, I... Oh, that sounds fun. Okay. We should... I would love to have a book club. Nobody I would like to have a book me. club specifically about novelizations of movies that we've covered. Yes. Uh, Marcus Jones and I talked about doing a whole podcast. Oh, that not was, interested. That, that was, uh, novelis- uh, you know, book novelizations versus the movie. Um, and, and it sounded great, but the idea of ma- asking someone to read a book and watch a movie um, sounded uh, like a lot. Also, they're really hard to get. Um, yeah, like, if I can find PDF what... copies of shit, maybe. Yeah. But, like, uh, tr- asking someone to pay, like, $30 for a uh, an adaptation of, like, Friday the 13th Part 4 or something. Like, no. Because <laughs> I got you a, uh, a novelization for a gift one time. It's great. That was incredibly difficult to get and out of print. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, not it's... that difficult. Like, I said, the 
It's amazing. It. It's one of my prized but, possessions. Uh, so yeah, but what happens if you do read the Necronomicon, Peter? Uh, bad stuff. All right, so this the, the movie essentially recaps Evil Dead 2. Ash and his girlfriend, who it's going to become irrelevant literally at, by the end of the sentence. Um, Ash and his girlfriend. They somewhat remake Evil Dead 2 again, which also remade it in Evil Dead 1, which I kind of appreciate. Yeah, this is like the third time telling the story. And then in Ash vs. Evil Dead, they just use footage from Evil Dead 2. Um, so they they like... Uh, they didn't go back to the well a fourth time. Um, the uh, his girlfriend they, Bridget Fonda. His girlfriend Bridget Fonda in maybe the most thankless role of her career. Um, I think they were just friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she is uh, Ash's girlfriend for about eight seconds before she uh, she dies in the course of the film, or you know the recap, uh, playing a character that she you know was not playing in Evil Dead Two. Uh, and then Ash gets sucked into a wormhole, lands in the uh, medieval times, uh, ju- just like the great shock ending of Evil Dead 2. And I want to park here really quickly. If Army of Darkness didn't exist, and Evil Dead 2 was just like the greatest cliffhanger ending of all time, people would give it so much more cred for the balls that it has. But like... They didn't know when they made Evil Dead 2 that they were going to get to do Army of Darkness. They specifically thought that they weren't going to be able to, and they put aside a little yeah. bit of budget at the end so that they could, you know, hint at, uh, you know, the movie they originally wanted to do. Because they originally wanted Evil Dead 2 to be Ash in the Middle Ages. Mm. Um, yeah, and- that, that was going to be the third act. Yeah. Yeah, and so they originally wanted that, and then eventually, and the producer said, "No, do the cabin thing; it'll be cheaper." Um, and uh, then it ends up just being uh, C- Carrie. Actually, as long as we're paused, I have to ask. Like, so when I first saw this, I didn't know this was a part three. Like, it was just called Army of Darkness. I thought this recap was just their setup for an, a new story. Oh, really? And it all, it all. Well, yeah, it all kind of like okay, yeah. yeah go to the hand. Come, sure, <laughs> it's like the they're communicates with you. Like, yeah, of course he makes yeah. a mechanical hand. Yeah. yeah, like, it's racing through a lot of stuff to get to the good stuff they actually want to focus on, but sure, like, it works, but I suppose you must have known that this was a part three. I did know, um, and I appreciated, I, I knew it was happening in that opening, and I appreciated it as, like, thank you, I haven't seen these <laughs> movies and you're getting me up to speed, that's so nice of you. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 It, yeah, it yeah. works, like, it does work, like, I never felt lost. No. Even though this is a part three, it's, well, it's it, it nice. feels like it's it feels like a standalone story within the same universe. Yeah, yeah I don't feel like you were robbed having not seen Evil Dead Two, but I also think if you had just seen Evil Dead Two, you wouldn't have been robbed not seeing the other two movies. And if you just seen Evil Dead One, like it, yeah. even though the movies do technically run into each other in a certain kind of way i don't think you're robbed of context by not seeing any of the individual ones they all kind of stand on their own two feet and like i said this one is off in its own territory in a way that like uh i uh, i think makes it very much stand on its own feet i i would have been this is a movie that like when i have kids i'll be fine showing to them at a pretty young age because it's it's basically a pg-13 movie i have no idea why it's rated r um anyways um so max survived the cabin but got sucked into a wormhole trying to uh seal who is max max did you say max you said max what come on 
Max, come on. I actually do weirdly associate this in the Mad Max series, but... Oh, weird. Um, Yeah. I get Uh, it. I get it. Same creative crew every time. Max Shrek. Max Shrek. Sucked back. (laughs) Max Shrek sucked back into the 14th ages and actually killed as a vampire. So, uh, Christopher Walken, playing the character Max Shrek in Batman Returns, uh, is held to (laughs) task for his crimes... (laughs) For uh, helping in the drowning of a young maiden of Gotham, Schmadley Schmutt. What is happening? Uh, Christopher Walken plays a character in. No, I you in, know, I get it. Shrek. Yeah, no, I we covered it on the to show. The Natalie Peter. Wood thing. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, um, anyways, so back to the thing. Uh, so. Uh, What's his name? What Ash. happened on that portal? Uh, what the hell happened? <laughs> um, so Max Ash uh, is uh, stuck in the Middle Ages. Uh, he is uh, he's been taken prisoner uh, by uh, one army, and essentially uh, he's about to, he's he's being thrown into a pit alongside uh, this leader of an opposing army. They think that Max is working for the enemy. He's, he's got some sort of sorcery um, because these people, these, this, these medieval group um, is uh, under siege by these demons. The Necronomicon is kind of run rampant. The deadites are attacking them throughout the land. Um, and they think that uh, they're, they're attacking uh, other nations or, you know, other kingdoms. They're attacking uh, each other. They're very paranoid uh, about uh, who's causing all the deaditism um, out there. And so they see this crazy dude uh, dropping out of the sky with a car, his armor. They call it armor suit that they, like, are hitting with, with blades. Like, they don't understand. Uh, Max is talking to them as if they're any other dummies that walked into S-Mart. Um, and just insulting them, throwing names at them, and they throw him into a pit um, where uh, they're keeping deadites, uh, basically as like a form of execution. Um, and Max uh, defeats the deadites as he's wont to do, sort of takes back control, and he starts his arc up to being uh, a king, um, being a sort of a, a badass among them. And he goes off on his journey. The first part he does is he revels in hedonism. Uh, Sounds like he sleeps with some of the women there, eats some grapes, the whole medieval deal. He uh, gives himself a mechanical hand. Uh, he sort of dons a cape, uh, really takes on his hero role, uh, which is instantly smashed in his face when he gets chased by uh, Deadite Cam um, and goes on a, a crazy chase through the woods. Um, in an event where he smashes a mirror, he creates a bunch of individual small copies of him that he faces off against. One of them crawls inside his body. His body starts to form in a conjoined twin kind of thing that begins to split off from him. He gets into a battle with this thing, and throughout the rest of the movie, that will be the main villain of it. Sort of a dark Ash, who has a burned face, because Ash burned his face, um, and is leading an army of the dead against the kingdom. Ash goes back to the kingdom, has his, you know, failure of conscience moment where he's like, I don't I don't want to do this shit. <laughs> send me back. Send me back. I got. I got. I got the Necronomicon. He steals the Necronomicon back um, to try and seal up the dead and get his own ass back to his own time. Um, and uh, the kingdom is like the everyone in the kingdom's shaming him for this act, but the 
kidnapping of his love his love interest sheila um inspires him to take on the sort of uh the warrior throne uh take on his is you know uh, become the king that he uh he keeps talking about he keeps talking himself up as as the sort of uh hero he actually takes on that hero mantle accepts the call uh helps the the castle protect themselves in an attack um, makes friends with the na- the enemy uh, kingdom to help assist in the battle. Huge skeleton battle. Everything goes down um, at the castle, and Ash defeats his uh, his his you know uh, copy his foil. Uh, the two armies are reunited. Ash takes uh, a potion from this sort of like you know wizard character who's sort of there to help explain what the the book of the uh, the book of the dead, the Necronomicon, actually is to Ash. And, um, Ash, uh, Ash takes his drops or whatever off screen, and we see him, uh, telling this story to a bored, uh, a smart employee, uh... Played by Ted Raimi. Played by Ted Raimi, mm-hmm. who plays three or four characters in this movie. Um... <laughs> you can use my steel. Use my steel. And then, uh, uh, oh, so he's an S-mart, uh, you know, b- telling people of his exploits, but he's ultimately, you know, he's in a humble position, and then um, in, the, in the moment that uh, everyone's He was supposed of, to say the words when he drank the supposed, drop. Just yeah, like, the moment yeah. he's supposed to say the words that he, that he ended up actually kind of unsealing the dead. Um, and uh, because of that, uh, a deadite attacks them in the store. He defeats the deadite, uh, kisses the girl, uh, not his girlfriend from the beginning of the movie because she is uh, dead and gone. And uh, yeah, hail to the king, baby. Yeah, and the alternate ending, to kind of circle back to that, which is actually the biggest part of the director's cut, there's some change lines, there's one scene with a little more gore, there's a it's sex not like, scene, which, it's I, not like which I'm very glad they cut, like, I don't need an Ash sex scene, uh, but but the, essentially the ending is that he still has to take drops and do something, um, and in a he does right all the way off, he's supposed to take three drops, and he can't remember if he was supposed to take three or four drops to wake up in his own time. He wakes, he takes four drops, which was the wrong amount. And when he wakes up, he sees like almost a a Las Vegas version of destruction. Like every monument that you can think of has been destroyed and it's the apocalypse and everyone's like, just, there's just rubble. And he emerges from his cave to scream. Oh no, I slept too long. So it's the idea of Ash basically being stranded in the future with no more, or at least what we can see is no more people, um, as opposed to the slightly less incompetent ending where he still goes back to his own time, but has uh, unfortunately re-released the Deadites by not saying the words correctly. But hey, at least he gets to be a hero, or at least his own his own version of a hero. Um, and even though, we'll talk about this more next week, even though Ash vs. the Evil Dead, and I don't know if this changed, because I've only seen the first season um, as I'm recording this one, uh, Ash vs. the Evil Dead only had the rights to Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, not Army of Darkness. And so they don't really spend too much time talking about the events of Army of Darkness, but I guess the inference because is that the canon one in that show would have to be the theatrical one because if not, everyone's dead, right? I mean, yeah. you've seen the entire show. I don't know if they ever get to it, Peter, but... 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we'll talk about the ending and, and its implications, the alternate ending more in the show, because I think the... Interesting. Okay, the well, you don't of, have to spoil anything. Yeah, the show kind of plays with the, the two endings in a sense. I'm not saying it has like two timelines or some shit, but the show kind of plays with uh, the, the two endings in an interesting way. Um, interesting. I, yeah, I, I'd heard they were trying to get the rights to Army of Darkness to talk about it, so that's interesting. So uh, They will... didn't get the rights for season one and then in two two or three by the end of the show they got the rights it was a it was a stupid hinky thing like for you know it's sort of like uh, uh hannibal not being able to mention clary starling for its entire run uh, and then towards the end it sounds like they were basically breaking a deal with the de laurentis estate because D- technically dino de laurentis owned clary starling or something um, yeah, was, which is almost the same thing. So yeah, it's it's very very silly. But they eventually brokered a deal, and then okay. like seasons two or three, they start mentioning stuff from Army of Darkness. That is awesome. I've, uh, that makes me obviously look forward to finally catching up with a show I really loved in its first season, uh, based on my love of this movie. So where do we even start with this movie? Um, can it's such I a brief movie? Like it's yeah. a brief movie. It's it like one out American quickly. Summer. Like I sit down and then I like look at my watch and it's almost over. Yeah. Can we, let's talk about the opening scene, which is like a this movie basically has like six scenes. There there are fifteen minute long set pieces. It's a little bit of an exaggeration. There are some shorter moments, but it really is. It's kind of like you have him at the pit. You have him being king and given his mission. You have him at the windmill, him at the graveyard, him when he wants to leave, him training them, skeleton war, he goes back home. It has a lot of these long little, where where they're able to do either goofy things or ideas that like don't need to exist in the rest of the movie. So like the windmill scene's great, but it's basically like, let's do a take on Gulliver's Travels and... Or at least the little put, like tying them up and, mm-hmm. and this, this, and then like that... That doesn't exe- need to exist with the next set piece, which is almost immediately the graveyard. Um, so let's – I want to talk about the opening set piece a little bit, which is kind of long. It's like 15 minutes. Like I said, like as I'm watching this as a as a 15-year-old and even now, I, I just think this first 15 minutes post-prologue uh, or recap is perfect. It does so many things so well to let you know – what the threat is, who ashes as a character, how what kind of movie you are watching all at once. It is, I think, essentially perfect in this way and got me as someone watching this movie for the first time in that like, holy shit, what what is this treasure that I have discovered? Yeah. It gets you right into the action. There's no like yeah. there's no easing into it. It's just like, oh, we're we're moving now and here's the first uh horrible situation he has to get himself out of. I was just gonna say you learn who Ash is very quickly, right? Like he does the opening narration. His first line in the movie, essentially, is when Eric the Red, which is one of the other kidnapped uh like a king of the other kingdom that they they think has unleashed the deadites the the arthurian uh heroes that he has or the arthurian castle that he stumbled on when they explain that he's the king of the threat 
and Ash ex- and he uh, talks to Ash. Ash immediately responds with, "Well, hello, Mister Fancy Pants." Yeah. And you immediately are like, "Oh, he doesn't care about any of this shit." He's not going to be like, uh, dust thou think. Like, he's not playing around with any of that shit. It makes the movie move so much faster that there's no, like, him pretending to be a modern, him pretending to be a modern piece of this puzzle. And then he gets found out. Then he has to explain the future. Yeah. They just think he's a weirdo. And they have a prophecy that he fits neatly into. So. And he, but he doesn't care about any of it. He is annoyed from the get-go he's annoyed that he's being taken to this he's annoyed that this you know quote-unquote has nothing to do with him he's annoyed that he even has to talk about this which even makes sense like even now having seen obviously evil dead 2 and stuff like that like this guy's been through a day this is he he went through the this the entire evil dead one and two and then threw out a portal and gets captured and like you can understand how he would be like I don't have fucking time for any of this shit. Yeah. Like, why? You have gotten me in this trouble. Get me out of it. And then once he realizes the threat is real, that they're going to throw people into the pit and they're going to explode in blood, he immediately changes his tone of like, I've never even seen these assholes before today. But at no point does he try to modulate on the, on, 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 onto their terms. And then I think the movie immediately tells you what kind of movie it's going to be. I mentioned the Matt thing that that I think is, I don't know if that was purposely left in or not. It, fe- it feels like it's purposeful of like, hey guys, we don't care that the Matt's there. This is what kind of movie it's going to be. Like either, either, either you're on board or not. But I also love like, you see the geyser of blood, which is just a ridiculous death. And then you get down to the pit, even before the... The, the exaggeration of, like, he jumps up and catches his chainsaw and uses his belt as a whip and, like, all these things. Like, he gets down, the explosion of blood occurs, you think, what kind of fucking monster's in this pit? And by the time Ash gets down there, it's a, it's a zombie monster who you are like, oh, is it going to start biting? Does it have some powers? And literally just kind of grabs his arm and starts punching uh him yeah (laughs) and like doing some really lame ninja moves and immediately like the soundtrack cuts out of like this heroic terrible dungeon music and you're just like oh it's that movie it's 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 a movie where that geyser of blood that we saw was caused by someone punching a dude to death and it's just it's so perfect and then of course he escapes and he is just like yeah, I got my chainsaw, I got my gun. I'm going to express my anger to all of you in this very funny speech about about his boomstick and how you can buy one if you go to his store. <laughs> um, and it's just like, it's so perfect. It's like, you know, who Ash is, here's the movie you can expect. Like, And also these directorial flourishes. This is the first Sam Raimi movie I ever saw. Like the way that the camera follows the arrow, which... Which is doesn't actually make a lot of like story sense, but you're like, oh, it's that kind of movie where the camera can do fun things because it's fun, not because it's trying to impart any sort of importance in those scenes. Yeah, and it's funny yeah. that this comes after Darkman, <clears throat> which is a movie that I don't really like that much, um, it, because this is this feels like 
Sam Raimi is finally ready to do a superhero movie. Um, yeah. Because Darkman, my problem with it is that it uses the Sam Raimi style in every single second, but it never lets like a dramatic moment sit. Like there's no sense of like dread throughout. There's no sense of like, um, like a, a dramatic sort of uh you know sitting in the emotion it's just like it just slams moment to moment to moment this is a movie where sam raimi figured his shit out he was like really attached to this one dumbass character um he's really attached to his crew in this case and his ability to be flexible and be zany uh, and do these sort of sweeping action sequences that are less, it, it, they feel less like flourishes than they feel like they're a, a means to an end, right? Like he's doing these crazy shots because he's shooting a crazy ass scene. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. he, he's trying to capture the craziness of the scene. Whereas like Dark Man, I feel like sometimes there's shots where like, isn't this wild? And it's just like Liam Neeson in a trench coat. <laughs> like, well, yeah, yeah, I guess he went down to, the coat store and bought himself a nice coat you know this is and uh and then by the time he gets to superman he's a fully he's a fully balanced director right like he can do the zany he can do the slapsticky but this is and he can do the dramatic but this is the time where i'm like uh oh sam raimi can do anything yeah i love his superman movie did i say superman you did that's that was the listeners eagle-eared listeners if i don't remember what i said i don't get it i was i was gonna ask i didn't know that he did a superman <laughs> uh you yeah. guys are you guys. trolling me no are you guys trolling me yeah no uh i love when the um the director of max versus the army of darkness graduates to a superman movie <laughs> lot look peter closes on a house in a couple days there's a lot going on everybody He's doing the best he can. <laughs> you are so but, loved, Peter. Yeah, just Peter, glad you are loved, right now, guys. Just including, including by the person specifically who keeps pointing all these moments out <laughs> to let you know it's okay. <laughs> what do you think about uh, my comparison to the Spider-Man movies? Okay, Aaron, or Dark I Man. think you're. Let's I talk about any of it. Well, first of all, your opinions on Dark Hat or Dark Hat. <laughs> Damn it! Is it contagious? Um, your. Peter's opinions on, on the entire dark head, dark feet, uh, and dark uh, hands series uh, do not reflect the opinions of We Love to Watch as a whole. I like Dark Man quite a bit, but I do it's get a movie for sure. Um, I again do not reflect opinions. <laughs> um, but I, but Make I, I actually, I actually, I'll bump it up. Okay, make me watch it for the show. I actually agree with you in general in that. This movie felt like someone letting off steam. Like, like I don't, I don't have to deliver anything except the movie that I want to make right now. And so when you see those kind of like, and this was my kind of sense when I saw it the first time, like, oh, he made the, the camera follow the arrow into the guy who's running away because he thought it would look cool and it would be fun to do. And that is something that you don't always see in movies. And um, the reason he was able to do this is because, again, uh, someone who we've never mentioned on this podcast who has been brought up five different times, Dino De Laurentiis, let him do whatever he wanted. He had no oversight when shooting this movie. I mean, he had a budget, but within that budget, he could kind of do 
uh, wherever, whatever he wanted to do, which was something he was essentially only afforded up until Spider-Man 2 on Evil Dead movies. So you kind of, you do see him cut loose in a way that feels fun. And I agree with you, like, as much as I do like Dark Man, which is a four out of five movie, it tonally doesn't quite work because, and you get the sense that, like, it would have worked better if Sam Raimi could have just made a Sam Raimi movie out of it with Bruce Campbell in the lead, but instead he got Liam Neeson um, and tried to make it more serious with all the visual flourishes that that uh, could could fit in a more comic booky movie, and um, and then tonally it matches a more serious tone. So it definitely has some confusion as to what it's trying to do, even if I think it ultimately is is good enough to be successful at it. But we can talk about Darkman some other time. But I agree with you. This this movie feels like letting off steam and the stories of him torturing Bruce Campbell because uh, Sam Raimi is a sociopath as it relates to Bruce Campbell specifically also feel like a sociopath letting off steam by torturing someone. And that um, Bruce Campbell was apparently very unhappy shooting this movie because Sam Raimi was above and beyond cruel to him. Uh, during it uh, like including making the most complicated takes that other people were like couldn't we do this easier and him telling the crew no because it'll make it harder for Bruce wow uh, oh yeah he uh, and like it's hard to tell now because they're all such close friends uh, how much of it is uh, Bruce Campbell being cute and how much of it is legitimate grievance like it's hard to tell if um bruce campbell is more on the side of uh you know he's he's sort of uh making jokes at the expense of his friends because they're all very close still and all like are like they 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 hang out at interview circuits and shit together well nobody does that during covid times but you know what i mean um in theory in theory, you know, before COVID times, uh, they did this. Um, and they all are kind of game to do projects together, even if it, you know, does or doesn't include Ash, right? Um, and, uh, or the other half that he, like, is genuinely airing a grievance that he's like, yeah, Sam treated me like bullshit on that set. Like, it's hard to tell which side of the, the coin he's coming up on, because sometimes in, like, you know, interviews and stuff, he lands on one side, and other times he, he lands on the other side. I don't know a lot about Sam Raimi, like as a person. Is he does he has does he have a reputation of being like a tough director on sets? Only to Bruce. So it's oh, true. It's only to, to Bruce Campbell. Oh, so, interesting. I also so think we, this we talked early filmmaker thing. Like it sounds like his sets got more and more professional the more money he got. <laughs> sure, that and that. Tracks. Yeah, and he and he specifically though, like so him. Um, and then the other two Raimis, Ivan and Ted, who are, uh, I believe Ted's the youngest and Ivan's the older one, um, and Rob Tapper have been friends since they were li- like actual children. Ted I only know uh, from Xena. Which was produced by Rob Tappert. Oh, okay. And, there we go. And like Rob Tappert yeah. is- And Sam Raimi. Yeah. Rob Tappert is- Married to Lucy Lawless. Full circle. Yeah, and yeah. then also uh, Lucy Lawless is on Ash vs. Evil Dead. That's right. Um, and then Bruce Campbell is also on one of the Xena shows. Yeah, oh, he, and he's, he's actually on, he's actually on Hercules and Xena playing the same character. He's on like fifteen episodes because is he a those show, sort of a uh, talker? Yeah, he is. yeah uh, Sam Raimi. Uh, so Sam Raimi and Rob Tabbert produced both Hercules and Xena. I never um, knew that. 
Yeah, so that is really like when he was having trouble in Hollywood, they ended up doing some some syndicated television. But we talked a little bit about this in the first episode, but uh, they are literal childhood friends, all five of these people who uh, – and Sam Raimi is the youngest. Um, and uh, like they, there's a, a two-year gap between Bruce Campbell and Rob Tabbert and a two-year gap between Sam Raimi – or three-year gap because I think Bruce was actually friends with Ivan – um, and then met Sam through like being like in second grade with Ivan and then Rob Tabbert was like an older kid they hung out so like literally like goes back and I guess Sam and Bruce have always had a little bit of like a younger brother older brother relationship and as as uh, if you have younger siblings which I have I have a couple sometimes when younger siblings that get uh, power they they feel like it is. Uh, they want to uh, inflict some some level of of damage or feel like they have they usually it's in a fun way for that kind of accidental damage that you did as an older kid that didn't quite or an older sibling that didn't quite take everyone's feelings into account as much as you should have and it sounds like that is their relationship and that Sam Raimi has made it a joke about how much he can hurt Bruce Campbell and make his life miserable when he shoots movies with him I see. Okay. That Which not saying it's healthy or good. It just it, apparently on like on Evil Dead Two, it seems like there was a mutual recognition of oh Sam's being Sam, and on Army of Darkness, it seems like that the like Sam did the thing that sometimes people can do in that uh, kind of mean joking relationship where Sam took the joke way too far uh, on for a for a long period of time, and that Bruce was legitimately unhappy. That is my understanding of the Army of Darkness set, anyways. Got and it. the contrast, I mean, it's interesting because you, the the contrast is in the on the screen. Um, because Ash is uh, a frustrated and annoyed the entire time. In the other movies, he's trying to he knows people, he cares about people, he's trying to help. Like I actually think it. I'm not saying like it need that needed to happen for his character, but it definitely matches his on-screen persona of just being done with all of this shit. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this, the, the way I would, the, the way that they describe, I was, I actually watched the first couple of episodes of the show with a commentary just to like hear what these guys were like, just coming back to the show after so, you know, these characters. Yeah. After so long. And they describe Ash the same way I would, which is he's unqualified. He's cowardly. He's narcissistic. He's sort of stuck in this state of arrested development. Like he's really immature. Um, he's unable to commit. And this is their vision of Ash, and it's so funny that, like, sometimes he's just played, like, in the video games, I feel like he's played more straightly as, like, uh, just a badass. Um, or like, well, Yeah, because you can't, you can't have, like, a press triangle to run away yeah. and quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he, he, uh, he, this sort of mix of Ash being this, this um, constantly pummeled and punished character and him receiving sort of hedonistic pleasures is the character, right? And him sort of receiving hedonistic pleasures like a 16-year-old boy. Like um the way he, the way he talks to people, the way he talks to women and like the way he sort of um gladly accepts anybody who's trying to talk up his uh his his ego um just really gets him going. Like and I feel like that's kind of the um, that's kind of the the Campbell Ramey relationship um, 
uh, on yeah. screen in a sense because it'll be like we're gonna give you this character and he's a showboating narcissist uh which is what we think you are and we're gonna knock you down a peg uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> And actually, yeah, I think that's a great call out. And it actually fits really well with something else we've been talking about is that like, you know, Evil Dead fans, just in the way of like, there's are there's great Evil Dead fans. And there's some of the fucking worst Evil Dead fans that take the wrong things from a lot of these movies and focus on some of the wrong moments as like integral to the Evil Dead experience, which we talked about at length in our first two episodes um, about like the tree rape scene and the, the original and um, I actually think that this movie has also had that problem in that, like, I legitimately believe to my core that the Ash character in this movie is someone who gets the sense that he's going to be an action star and a hero and tries to sublimate, like, tries to figure out how to be that, like, based on the fact that he uh, works at a department store, probably watches a lot of movies, and he's like, I'm going to... I'm going to be that character. And then the second it's inconvenience or a problem for him, he gives up. That's he's cause he's not that. Yeah. And I think like the, I think the, why like the, like the give me some sugar line is actually still legitimately funny to me is because in that moment as a character, he just knows he needs to say a one liner and he comes up with the dumbest, most ineffective one-liner that you could like. It it doesn't connect. It doesn't do anything. It's not sweet. It's not funny. It is like something like to your point, Peter, a sixteen-year-old boy who was extremely immature would think would be an effective way to get the girl. And and so that scene is still very funny to me under those terms. I think. One way that, like, some people think that is actually cool. Like, Ash isn't a facsimile of coolness that he's constructed a house of cards around in that moment, but actually is a cool action hero in that moment or some other moments in the movie. And I and I feel like that is the one... My, my criticism of this movie is not always in its parts. It's that kind of, like, oh, of course fanboys have taken that to be, like, the, the exact wrong way... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that kind of like Tyler Durden's good. What really yeah. works for me in that scene is the fact that, like, he's he's being an asshole to her that whole scene. Yeah, and then she finally slaps him, and that's when he's like, "Oh, I am suddenly deeply attracted to you." And it's like <laughs> yeah. he needed to be put in his place before anything else could happen. Yeah, and I, I think also, like, the other movies, the one thing you can say about Ash is that, and this is definitely a change after this movie, and it's something I'm not quite sure I like about Ash versus the Evil Dead, at least the first season, but we can talk about that, is, um, like, Ash is a sweetie. Like, he loves his girlfriend, he is um, torn up uh, when he's taken away, like, legitimately, like, Bruce Campbell does an amazing job of showing the pain and the anguish. It's never played for a joke that his girlfriend, that he loved... Uh, and they had a wonderful, loving relationship, was taken away, right? Like, it's never played for a joke. Her coming back and torturing him is. But their relationship as a whole in either Evil Dead 1 or Evil Dead 2 is not played for a joke. And so, like, I actually like the, at the end of all this, like, the the kind of, like, slow walk with them holding hands. Because we know Ash isn't a boorish, boorish asshole. Like, 
because we've seen him in two other movies, or at least, you know, from my perspective now, like, I've seen him in two other movies, like, not be that. And so one of my, like, minor criticisms with Ash vs. the Evil Dead, Peter, is that, like, I feel like they take that moment where he's at his most egotistical and most um, annoyed with the world, tries to be this uh, action hero facsimile, which crumbles very quickly on a, on a couple different levels in Army of Darkness and make it seem like that's just who he is. And I I wasn't a huge fan of that. But I, I think it ultimately, even there, even though it's kind of a like like everything in this movie doesn't get much screen time like i actually think their little minor relationship in this movie or like at least mutual affection like kind of works for me it works and what's so funny about it to me is that i the majority of it happens off screen like similar to what you were saying before yeah. about how this is not a movie that needs to tell you everything it's just going to jump from set piece to set piece and let you fill in the blanks yeah. But there's there's a great moment where she's like, Oh, all this wonderful time we've had together. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> You've I, kissed I they, once. <laughs> I, I, I can't tell if I want more time with them together or if that would slow the movie down too much. Like I, I wish they got into an adventure together. Like he goes and rescues her at, like before the big castle attack and like maybe yeah. he he leads the skeleton army back to the castle, something like that. Like maybe he goes and rescues her while he's getting the Necronomicon and then they're chasing all three of them back to the castle. Like I the movie's eighty minutes. Like you can th- like it, you can yeah. throw you can throw in another action sequence that develops uh, a Sheila out a little bit more. I feel like I feel like it's undercooked. I mean, a lot of it comes from the fact that I really uh, the, a lot of what works for me just comes from the fact that I think Bruce Campbell and um and Beth is it and Beth Dietz Dave, Davis. Davis Davis. There we go. Um, and Beth Davids. A lot of my aff- affinity is coming from the fact that I like Bruce Campbell and Beth Davids a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it, it's they're carrying water. O- other movies are carrying the water for me in their relationship a little bit. Um, but does it? I think it's also weird how like he essentially stabs her and dispatches with her like an evil woman in a Bond movie, uh, and then she's just okay. Yeah, but I don't yeah. think like. But we <laughs> know from work. the other movies. But I guess that that doesn't bother me because he knows for a fact his, like, love of his life girlfriend was taken by the same thing that, like, once it's that, it's not them anymore. Like, he's had two movies of having to cut up all of his friends and everyone else to recognize. And and yet he still gets tricked because he doesn't want that to be the case, right? Like, when um, he wrecks his car during the final climactic battle to 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 avoid her so yeah i'm not saying it's like a, a romance for the ages but i do think i guess my ultimate point is that like i do think there is even sweetness at the end when they kind of say their goodbyes and stuff like that and it's a little bit frustrating to me that even the creators of evil dead have taken that 10 minutes where he's boorish and made it such an uh integral part of his character in ash versus the evil dead and that again i think so many uh, quote unquote fanboys of this movie equate that minor stretch of Ash's character, um, with who Ash is overall. Yeah, I I I like the relationship how it plays out in the movie because it is the fact that it is as thin as it is, but they act like it's not 
is what adds yeah. to the humor. Yeah. But at the same time, while it's consistent with the character, uh, again, I haven't seen the first two movies, but based on what you're saying, like it's consistent with him that he would act this way once he sees her as a deadite. That yeah. said, I don't know what it's saying about Sam Raimi or about the series as a whole that women keep ending up in highly disposable positions. So that's, I, I guess if there's a thing to critique about what's happening with the relationship, the fact that she doesn't really have, all, every moment that she has is great because she's amazing, but yeah. th she, the fact that she has as few moments as she does and then winds up to be as disposable as any of the other women, that sound that sounds like, you know, that it's it's not it's less a problem with her and maybe more of a problem with like what the series is doing with its women. Yeah, which is I, hard that for is me a to comment on when I haven't seen yeah. two thirds yeah, of and the actually series. One <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> um, and as one point of clarification, which may be adding to the confusion, is that when I say his girlfriend in Evil Dead One and Two, it's the same girlfriend. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's not that he keeps going back to the cabin with these loves of his life. <laughs> they get they get murdered. Um, it's the it's the same. Um, Evil Dead Two remakes the first Evil Dead in the first ten minutes of it because they couldn't get the rights, and then becomes a sequel. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not expecting a lot from these movies in that regard, but on this watch. The her character bothered me more than she had in the past, and I think it's yeah. I think it's just because because it's such a broad comedy, and no one is particularly well developed. Her lack of development as like the woman stands out. Yeah, especially when the movie is bookended by there was a woman before her, and then there's a totally different woman after her. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's completely fair. Um, and I do agree, like, uh, she's good in this movie because M. Beth Davids is good, not because it's particularly a, uh, like, when she's not possessed, which is a ton of fun, it's such a thin character. Yeah. Um, and it would have been interesting, too, like, if maybe they made the same uh, clone of M. Beth Davids, so it was a, a mere couple, so it allows her more... To still have the fun that she clearly has and does a great job of us playing evil Sheila uh, with with um, maybe adding a little bit to her character as a uh, a person of agency and not possessed by a dead eight. Um, that would have been really cool, actually. That's a yeah. really good idea. Um, speaking of that, let's talk about that because the cloning scene, if that's what you want to call it, um, where... The, the windmill scene where Ash swallows a little version of himself only to find out that in what starts as an eye growing out of his shoulder and then bursts out of him is one of the wonderfully odd moments. And that is is actually probably the only moment from this movie that when I first watched it legitimately creeped me out and scared me. Mm. Yeah, that's easily my favorite sequence in the whole movie. It's it's so weird, and it's very creepy, but it's still very funny. Like, when he's scratching that eye on that shoulder, 
I don't have an eye thing, but there are moments, like, with anything, like, I don't have a particular, I know some people have an eye thing or, like, a tongue thing or something like that, but I think if you do weird enough stuff with any body part, I'm going to be a little bit affected, and an eye in the shoulder that he scratches is affected. And it's also a very gross-looking eye. Like, there's something about it. That's, like, darting around. Yeah, there's something about it, because it's also way too big. Like, there's something about it that doesn't look human. Um, yeah, it's also, like, the act seems to be hurting him in such a way that, like... Oh, yeah. Uh, and, like, is it, like, his... Is the eye still part of him enough that if he stabbed the eye, it would hurt him a lot? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I I don't know what the rules are for this. Like, I think the rules are go run out in the woods screaming. (laughs) Yeah. His acting in that sequence is fantastic. Like, all of the body movements. So, So one thing that Bruce Campbell did uh, a lot of when he was making this movie, because Bruce Campbell is one of the best comedic actors of the past, like, 40 years. Um, One thing that he used to, he did... um, a lot of in this movie is to make effects work he would have to act a scene backwards so he would have to like wrestle with a dummy backwards uh and make it look like and then when they reverse the shot like actually make it look like you know uh uh, uh, this is the way a human being would react and bruce Mm -hmm. campbell was so fucking good at that and he like didn't know how to fight he didn't know how to ride a horse he didn't know how to do any of this shit And he kept finding ways to, like, work around the fact that Sam Raimi was working him in crazy, like, nights for six weeks. And, like, um, kept trying to find ways to work around that. And, like, coming up with, like, a specific sort of um, system for his his attacks. Like, each attack had, like, a number. And then he'd make, like, the Sam Raimi, like, call. Because he was, especially there's shots where he's, like, fighting with dummies or he's fighting with something that's not even there. And Sam Raimi would, he'd be like, Sam, like, what am I animating against? And he'd be like, do a number four, a number five. Like, it's so goddamn impressive because, like, they didn't even have, like, a, a digital wireframe to show him and be like, you know, the, the torso is going to be about here. So if you swing it, he just had to, like, act that way. And then the SFX crew had to work around him and they had to match up and they match up so damn well. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. When you realize when you realize that uh, at least uh, a significant percentage of the physical comedy bits that Bruce Campbell did, he had to do them backwards. It's insane. That's that is really wild. Uh, and still be funny and convincing. Like even in HD, like so much of this stuff is so convincing. Uh, and I really do like that. T- the twin idea is good. And I mentioned this at the onset, but like. I love that idea because it allows you to have an equally incompetent, on some level, evil uh, personified. So yes. the Evil Dead movies have, have very much not had an evil. Like, it's a it's a force that possesses people. And so to actually have an antagonist in an Evil Dead movie is a lot of fun, which they use uh, even from the first season. Very to w- That's an idea that they're like, you know what? That could be fun. <laughs> In in Ash versus the Evil Dead, uh, and Lucy Lawless is so good in the first season as that. Uh, and again, I don't know where it goes after that. So, I'm <laughs> but, um, but having Bruce Campbell do it and to have all of his same problems is so fucking genius. So many evil twins are about like even in comedies, we're like, I'm the super competent version of you. So yeah, what if he's evil and wants to get his book and kill everyone, but also like. When he's directing his skeleton minions and things go wrong, you cut back to him and go, ah, ah, and that's it. 
it cuts away. Like I that shot I want to specifically call out because when I would describe to people what it was like watching this movie, I would call that out. Like I just had never seen a it's this enormous like hasn't been seen since Harryhausen, skeleton battle, Danny Elfman score, all these little wonderful moments within it. It's and a mix then of costumes, it, it's a mix of miniature, yeah. claymation, it's crazy. Puppeteering, it's a mix of puppet puppeteer moments at times. Yeah, and then it keeps cutting back to someone as if we aren't seeing an animated on screen and we're supposed to react to his reactions to how the battle's going. And it doesn't add any, like, I don't know if that's, I honestly don't know if that's a joke or what, but the idea of just three different times they cut back to Bruce Campbell and and he just yells once and then it cuts away when something bad happens is the funniest fucking thing in the world. Yeah. I love it. Can I, can I tell you something, Aaron? And, I need you to not take it as an insult to the movie. Okay. The evil twin and the way he's going, oh, that's horrible. Like the sort of stilted way he's talking. Do you know what that reminded me of? Oh, no. Uh, by, the, by the way that I can't get offended, is it me? The Santa Claus 2, the evil Tim Allen. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Santa Claus 2, which is not a good movie, but... Wait, that same wait, now we're on Santa Claus 2. Is, first of all, I it's think great we movie. agree great movie. that the, while the North Pole scenes suck in that movie, evil Santa Claus rules. Yeah, uh, and it reminds, me of, it reminds me of evil Santa Claus, which is, as we agreed in, in the Santa Claus episode uh, a couple Christmases ago, uh, it, it rules. It, it, it owns bones. Um, it reminded yeah. me of that in a weird way where you're just watching uh, a robot Santa owning a robot army. <laughs> And just reacting in horror as like the the toy men and sort of fake horror as the toy men get knocked over. He's like, oh, geez, hate hate to see that happen. All right, get up there. Like this sort of like jawing, literal jawing at times because his jaw is fucking falling off. Yeah, it's uh, that is good. And this is also very good. Yeah, two good things. We cleared it up. Yeah, Santa Claus it 2, makes, great movie. It makes, it actually, not only did not offend me, Peter, it makes more sense why, like, Santa Claus 2 is <laughs> it's, a, it's more of a DNA thing at this point. Like, it's, you're programmed to, like, it, it's, it's like how, uh, it's like how, you know, plants are programmed to, to grow towards the sun. You're programmed to grow towards Army of Darkness shit. Uh, yeah. And, uh, let's, let's talk a little more about the skeletons because, I yeah, it is extremely extremely impressive they do every gag in the book that they can from the skeletons that play from the skeletons that play skeleton musical instruments like they're in fucking <laughs> civil war <laughs> from the skeletons that are huge cowards uh to them that try to get rallying cries that don't quite work dude skeletons um, are so def- good skeletons are so skeletons. good they they're but like they the best work but they do they're just bones and then you smash them and they just turn to dust and bones bone dust as, <laughs> what's not to love as someone Carried. who often finds the aesthetics of zombies to be like completely unwatchably unappealing i am so grateful for the skeletons in this movie they're yeah. just they're oh, they're getting the same idea across and in a very uh, aesthetically fine um, and funny and enjoyable way. 
I just like that they're like, uh, they're just like any shot in this movie. If you just painted it or you just cell shaded it, it could be an album cover. Totally. Like, so good. Which is also why I like, like, once they show the breadth of the skeleton army, which is incredibly impressive on a special effects. Like, again, you're seeing the different, like, units. You're seeing the scale. Like, the movie has actually seemed very, like, it has minimal scale because of the budget up until that point. Like, the castle shots are so fucking tight. And, like, yeah. we're just going to be on people's head. This this is a this is a brick wall and a old old timey chair. Like we cannot pan in this castle. We did not have the budget for it. Like the Arthurian thing is like looks like it's shot literally in someone's backyard in um in uh, Texas or something. Like it, the it's not that impressive location shooting, even if it looks really good because Bill Bill Pope is a good cinematographer. And then all of a sudden, it just blows up to this insanely, like, castle, skeletons. And then as it, after it shows all this stuff, it does this giant pan over how many skeletons there are. And it does a pan into a close-up of a skeleton that lets out a long yawn. <laughs> and I, like, it's, it's, I don't even, like, you could watch that and wonder if it's a joke or the skeleton was supposed to be doing something else. I mean, it's clearly a yawn. I've seen it enough to... But it is just, like, I think that's why, like, when I say, like, it just feels like they're just doing whatever is funny in the moment. Like, why why would you do, like, you've shown this amazing thing and your joke isn't, like, like, what is that joke that the skeleton finds this kind of boring? Like, I don't even know what the joke is, but the, the, it's the still so good. sort of det detached from... Like, is yeah. it sort of detached from what's going on? Like, that's also partially why they're able to throw themselves into battle so much, because they're just like, whatever. I, I'm, not, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm just an animated skeleton. I feel like this movie shares a lot of DNA with the Gremlins movies. Yeah. In both, say, yeah. In both, yeah. In both the, uh, the clone sequence and in the skeleton sequence, you have these, like, groups of you know weird creatures that are doing quirky funny things and i don't know like this was the first time that that thought occurred to me but it feels very gremlinsy to me which also would make sense why i would love it right like joe dante is like my favorite director yeah. like that kind of like we're we're making an um a movie for ourselves primarily and once we're able to let loose, we're going to let loose. Like, Gremlins 2 is the ultimate example of, like, I want to make a movie that I find that would be fun for me to make that has found an audience of other people that agree, but is not really necessary. Like, Gremlins 2 can exist in a world where only Joe Dante likes it. Yes. Right? And you feel like he would be satisfied because what what did he do all this for if it wasn't to make a movie that he wanted to make? But also it's amazing, so the rest of us oh, like yeah. it too. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. But Army of Darkness has that sense too. Yeah, like absolutely. of like Of like, yeah, I think this is funny, and maybe some other people will, but ultimately like... Why am I even making movies if I can't make a giant skeleton army and show, <laughs> spend five minutes of an 80 minute movie, 70 minutes if you exclude credits and prologue, if this I'm spending five minutes showing movie. the scope. Yeah, yeah. it is. It, it, Dark, it, it the Darkman was actually a big hit. No one talks about that. Yeah. I've never seen it. Darkman was a huge hit. And then he made this. 
and ruined his career again. That, that's why it's so weird that Darkman has sequels. Um, and Straight to video. Nobody was involved with it, basically. Um, and less and less people. So very few people from the first movie were involved in the second one. Uh, and then even less by the third one. Do you... I know the subtitles for the first two Darkman movies because of the video store thing and occasionally people would rent them and I, I used to think their subtitles were so funny. Do you know either... This will be a random quiz. Do you know either subtitle for the Darkman sequels? Go. Uh, Darkman 2. Uh, stepping into the light. <laughs> <laughs> No. Darkman to The Legend of Curly's Gold? Uh, sure. No. Billy Crystal couldn't figure it out. He's going to figure it out. Carrie, do you have any guesses on the subtitles for the Darkman movies? Uh, I, I don't know anything about Darkman. I'm sorry. Fair enough. You, you don't need to. Um, even though, as agreed on this podcast, it's a four out of five pretty good movie. Um, mm. So the second one is called Darkman to The Return of Durant. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I always thought I always thought that was very funny because I had seen Darkman and didn't know who Durant was. <laughs> <laughs> so like I'm assuming like I could infer it was probably the villain, but I also would be like, was that Liam Neeson's character's name? <laughs> like Ex- like who the fuck is Durant? This is ex- that is extremely the uh the the Legends of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul of its time, where uh <laughs> yeah. Unless you wrote the script, you don't know who either of these characters are. No, just call it Darkman 2. Um, and then the, the third one is funny also because of The Simpsons, but um, uh, it is uh, Darkman 3, Die, Darkman, Die. That's <laughs> so of, great. So, of course, the joke was that it was Darkman 3, the Darkman, the. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's really good. But, uh, yeah, I just... Just just bizarre subtitles. Like, at least, like, Tremors had to be, like, Tremors 3 Aftershocks. Like, okay, yeah, you're referencing Tremors, but, like, oh, Durant? I suppose Durant comes back in the second one based on this uh, subtitles? Anyway, uh, so I think we're getting close here to the end, just based on time. Not because I couldn't talk about every section of this movie in graphic detail, which in this case doesn't mean <laughs> explicit. It means specific. Um, I, uh, so I, any other final things? Like, I feel like there's a couple lines that I have to just say, like, like, hello, well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants is something that has warmed its way into my vocabulary. I think it's a very funny, very funny line <laughs> in any capacity. Absolutely. Um, but, but the way he says it is great. Um, I also love when he gets out of the pit, his, like, Bruce Campbell does not always get credit for line deliveries, but his, like, all right, who wants some? <laughs> like, uh, is, is so good. And also, it's not, I mean, it's not a line, but when he gets to find, gets in one moment to actually be an action hero, like, where he saves everyone from the deadite with the bucket of water. Mm-hmm. And does the kicks and does the shotgun blast and everything else, and then does the backward shotgun blast that that kills her. That like when he puts the gun down in the air with the with the shiver, where he just goes oh, like he like he's having a little orgasm at being like a 
John Claude Van Damme type suddenly <laughs> um, and getting the accolades of everyone is so goddamn good. Like that shiver is uncopyable, undescribable, and like one of the most perfect bits of like physical comedy I've ever seen. Yeah, his his constant sort of uh, emotional reaction to scenes is what makes this movie exciting because like he never quite settles into the I'm a badass role ever. He's no. constantly in this sort of like flailing comedic role where he's 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 veering wild like he he musters up enough strength for to be brave for 30 seconds and then he's uh he's like oh shit oh oh, shit oh shit i'm gonna get stabbed i'm gonna stabbed." like that sort of mix between uh all of the the emotions and the fact that he'll like go straight from a comedy bit straight into a oh ash is a badass bit like that that dance that he does and the fact that with the deadites it's not like he's like coldly executing them it's that he's like wrestling with them like he like the the move only kills a deadite if it looks cool like yeah uh, it, it's like, it would be like if a Devil May Cry game only worked if you got enough style points in the kill, but, like, otherwise, like, you just, you just, you're doing nothing, right? Like, it, you, you only get it if off it's them unless you look, like, yeah. unless you rack the gun with your teeth, like, you don't get a single ounce of damage on somebody. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I, I, that's uh, I yeah. That. That's Any other little it. moments? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I'm gonna hand my final thoughts off to you, Aaron. But uh, do you have any? Do you have any? Yeah, I definitely haven't had a chance to. I haven't had enough chance to speak in this episode. Uh, (laughs) um, Say a couple real quick things. Sam's. We haven't talked about this at all. Uh, Sam Raimi's car is in every one of his movies, pretty much. Um, It even shows up in Quick and the Dead, if I remember correctly, which is weird. Um, And uh, it's true. And it even shows up here. It, it comes through the wormhole with him um, and becomes part of the, the last action sequence that's cool. Uh, Ted Raimi is in the movie like four times. It's fun to play spot the Ted Raimi. He has a very distinctive face and jawline. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not a hard game. It's not It's not a Where's Waldo, but you know. Um, and then uh, another note is that this movie is written by Scott Spiegel, who's one of their sort of, you know, core crew. But it was also written by Ivan Raimi, who... Googling Ivan Raimi is very funny because you're more like you're almost more likely to find results about his doctor career than you are about him as a screenwriter because he's essentially just Sam Raimi's brother grew up with the you know the crew and he um he he sort of joined the crew around Evil Dead 2 as like a writing guy and uh he or at least you know in a formal role and uh he seems to get the characters really well he's he's you know he jokes with the guys on commentary tracks uh but he doesn't necessarily go out for all this stuff he doesn't live in la he lives in royal oak michigan because that's where all them are from and that's where he got his doctorate and that's where he practices so (laughs) it's just kind of a funny detail that like one of the guys that wrote this movie uh just pops into hollywood whenever he needs to like work on a script and then goes home that's pretty wonderful it's, it's, it's yeah, an ideal way to live. I think if you have to work in Hollywood, um, yeah, and he just like he has a good, um, good working relationship with his brother, and like his brother occasionally will just be like, "Hey, can you help me like crack something?" and and uh, this was a hard story to crack because they left themselves this cliffhanger, and you know we're trying to figure it out, and so uh, like he ended up cracking it with Ivan, and then they just ended up writing the entire screenplay together, so. 
fun yeah. story uh, about this movie. I just want to note also one one last note. We didn't talk about this, but uh, Bruce Campbell is, is very hot in a way that uh, always surprises me. Um, but he's not mm. hot in Evil Dead One. Evil Dead Two. No. Is, it's it's not. He's aggressively either. unhot. Yeah, it's not working for me. Evil Dead or in uh, Army of Darkness though. He's finally got the sort of like swagger and uh, this sort of like, I don't know. He's become iconographic in a way that lets people be hot in movies. <laughs> um, you and, you yeah. have bought into his faux action hero. Oh, yeah. Just like it's, everyone. Yeah. Also, he's funny, which is, you know, it helps. So uh, he's, a, it's, he's it's, a very attractive man. Which is yeah. funny because like the I took him as a clown for many years. And then one time I was watching this movie. And I was like, hey, he's got to work. Oh, me. like he amuses you. Ah, uh, yes. Like he amuses you. Like also, Joe clown? Pesci, really hot. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> Joe Pesci, hot. Uh, gosh, this movie is just so fun. Like, I, yeah. like, like I said at the beginning, like this. I think of this as like the ultimate, one of the ultimate movies for just like having a bunch of people over, having a good time, kind of night. Like, it's just yeah. such a, it's such a fun hangout movie where like. It, it, all all of the moments are the big moments. It's one of those yeah. movies where I always think I'm forgetting major pieces of it. And it's just because <laughs> there's no fat on it. It's just like one big moment after another. And it just goes from one to the next. And you know what it kind of reminds me of in that, Carrie? Not to interrupt. Yeah. Another movie that we covered on this show together. Never ending story. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yes, that is the same one. This was just a fun one to rewatch, and uh, now I'm now I'm getting more curious to watch the first two. To be honest, I I've never had a huge uh, I've never had a huge impulse to watch them, but hearing you talk about them has made me more curious than I had been. So I think I'm going to do that. I would recommend Evil Dead Two. See what you think, mm-hmm. uh, and then if. Evil Dead 1 is a movie I really like, but I think Peter and I would both agree that, like, it is not critical to watch mm-hmm. in any capacity. Like, and I, I know that sounds dismissive because we talked about how it, it is great on its own accord, and it is. But, like, I think if you want a little more of this movie, Evil Dead 2 is what you're looking for. The Ash and Evil Dead, it, while it's a fantastic, low-budget uh, 80s horror movie that kind of changed a lot of um, ways things are done. It's not It's not this. Like, you're not yeah. getting a taste of this in it. Which one is the rapier one? Oh, there's no rape in Evil Dead 2. It's, oh, great. It's okay, great. The that tree attack is happens, very helpful but it's specifically not information. <laughs> yeah. Okay, very it's good. A, it, it, yeah. There, there, will be, there yeah. will be a tree coming in hard, but don't worry. Just being a torturer, not a rapist. It's, yeah, it's just, it's just. Phew. Yeah. It's an, it's an. Whew. So, uh, yeah. So my final thoughts with this, like, I this has already been a quite the hype, hyperbolic month for me. Um, so I, I, I don't want to just say stuff like Army of Darkness changed my life when it comes to movies, but it absolutely, like, it did. Like, I don't know, I, I don't say that that often. It's not like every month. I say something like that, but like without Army of Darkness, I would never have discovered Evil Dead 2. 
without Evil Dead 2, which then led me to stuff like Dead Alive, I never would have given like realized how much I loved over the top, like grotesque horror, like um and then which eventually led me to watching Dawn of the Dead and enjoying real horror movies. Like that that is a straight line for me to like being the type of person that is releasing a uh, weekly episode on what horror movies I'm watching for with 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 my co-host, also big horror fan, uh, and and met him because of our love of Lovecraft horror that came, uh, you know, as a direct line of me wanting to experience more horror stuff. Like this, army watching Army of Darkness is the seed for all that. So um, I don't know if I would have got there another way. Um, I, I may have, I may not have, I may have just got there a little later. The story could end up being the exact same, but in the, in the, in the story of my life, not to sound like a social distortion song, um, Army of Darkness is that seed that led to everything that I'm doing on this podcast today. Um, and sometimes when you talk about seeds, that means that that movie itself isn't as big of a deal as where it led to. Uh, but in this case, that's not the case either. Like, this is still my favorite Evil Dead movie. It's, it is still a movie I've watched up there with any other movie that I've ever watched, including stuff as a kid. It is a movie that, like, I was an, was an evangelical about is like, if I need to show a friend of mine a movie that I, that means a lot to me and is a lot of fun to watch, I'm going to pick Army of Darkness. Like, and that went on for years and years and years. Like, you know, it's still a movie. It's, it's not a movie that, um, I watch regularly anymore. Um, just because I don't, I don't watch any movie regularly anymore. Um, except Coraline, which I've seen 8,000 times in the past <laughs> two years. Now my two-year-old asks for it. I swear to God that's true. Um, because she's watched it so much with my, my oldest. Uh, which is great because Coraline rules. Uh, yeah, I, like, like Peter said, like, I, I, when when my kids are eight or nine, I probably based on what they're watching today, anyways, I can show them this movie. Um, and it just is so much fun, and it still feels like almost no movie I've ever seen um, that like just doesn't have that like we're gonna do whatever is the funnest in that moment, um, and still kind of connect these set pieces and everything else doesn't matter. We just want to make a movie that is like just silly and goofy and has this like. Three Stooges energy with a horror time travel plot. It is like it. It is the type of movie that I imagine that if I had ever written movies, they would look a lot like this. Um, and that's also because I saw this movie and would have wanted to make more movies like this into the world. So uh, that is my um, overly sincere, long explanation of why I love this movie. I'm glad I got to talk about it with two people who I love talking to. Um, but yeah, this is this is a good one. That was beautiful. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. This was a lot of fun, Carrie and Aaron. Thank you so much for being my friends. Um, <laughs> being on the show. I, you know, I'm on here quite a bit. I But I will also thank Carrie for being on. Oh, no, oh, I mean you two together. Oh, I, I don't want to talk to just Aaron. I want to talk to <laughs> Carrie and Aaron as a combo. Because I think Carrie fixes a lot of the problems with Aaron, you know? It's like when a yeah, drink is I, too tart and you add a little bit of sugar to it or something. I don't know. Or too bitter. Aaron's bitter is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Carrie, do you have, uh, in October, do you have anything you want to promote? I I, I do. Um, And it's like, 
very corny and also I'm very excited. Um I I I don't know if I've I mean you guys know cuz we're friends, but like I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before, but I'm really into tarot and I started yeah. a tarot Instagram that Ooh. I'm like really excited about. So, if you want to like do witchy tarot shit with me, um I am cards from C on Instagram and I will provide the link and uh please be my witchy friends. Thank Heck you. Yeah. And C, Happy I Spooktober. Assume, I assume C is spelled C E E. That's correct. Okay. A lot of ways to spell that. That's like You the know, most. yeah. <laughs> that's that's You know you- how I have spelt it in the past. I do, but our listeners might not. They but might you like, do. Oh. I do. <laughs> yeah. Avoid this argument by but looking this at is, the show notes. But this is, but this is, act. I didn't plan this for Spooktober, but, you know, it's, it's sort of appropriate, actually. Yeah. And Spookin is the reason for the season, so we appreciate you contributing in a different manner. Uh, can you make that, can you make that be a rhyme, Peter, please? <laughs> uh, isn't reason and season already rhyme? Spookin is the reason. Oh yeah, I guess it is. Spookin is the creepin is the reason for the season. Creepin, yeah, that's yeah, better. that works. Better. It's it's like a rap rhyme where it doesn't really work. Creepin is the reason for the season. <laughs> but if you you go fast enough and you got a good beat, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, can can we do the Beastie Boys thing where like we shout out the rhymey part and then we say the rest? Creepin individually is. Duh. Okay, ready? We gotta go. Ready? One, two, three. Creepin. Creepin is the reason. reason. <laughs> For the we're gonna we're gonna skip. I think we're gonna stick to podcasting and not um, a Beastie Boys fan group. The only thing that I've been able to even sort of do is uh, harmonizing because that involves you know one person can start it. Um, <laughs> so you're the starter. Yeah, yeah. Someone can start it, and then by the time it hits you, you can. It sounds like you're just joining in on a sort of second delay. Um, anytime you're trying to line up two people singing at once on this, it's just it's it doesn't sound good. Yeah, um, it's definitely what really helps. I think would have helped the Beastie Boys or Run DMC is uh, a Skype delay. <laughs> Absolutely, I think I think that's helpful. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode um, of We Love to Watch. Next week, we, it's our it's our Halloween Spooktober Spectacular. We're doing something we've never done on this show, uh, which is do an entirety of a television series. Uh, in this case, it's three seasons of television. Ash versus the Evil Dead. We really debated how to cover it because it's a lot of watching. And we don't want a six-hour episode uh, because uh, that might get a little, a little long in the tooth. But if it like it felt like if we're doing all the Evil Dead's, how can we not do Ash versus the Evil Dead? And also, I'm a bad Evil Dead fan in that I never got around to season two or three, not because I didn't enjoy you the will shit now. Out of season one. I will now. Uh, yeah, we're actually taking a long break from recording while Peter becomes uh, an adult and goes on vacation. Or more of an adult buys a house, um, and then goes on vacation. So I'm going to spend that time watching the entire season. Here's series. Sorry, here's how we're doing it. Um, so we are going to. Our goal is to do about. We're going to jump right into it with just a little intro of how the show is set up. We're going to 
do maybe a season for 45 minutes. And we're specifically going to call out episodes uh, that after we do like a quick recap of each season that we want to drill down to as we would kind of scenes in a movie. So um, we will put those episodes that we're drilling down to in the show notes, but we are covering the series in its entirety. Uh, Spoilers are going to be discussed in the same way it would be a movie um, on our show. So uh, we hope none of that uh, scares you away from joining us next week. We'll also put a similar disclaimer at the beginning of that episode. Uh, But we wanted to at least let people know if a, they want to try to cram in, uh, the series in between uh, n- now and when they would listen when you would listen to the episode or B avoid the show until you have to catch up like myself uh, as of this recording so but yes. that's what we're doing um, I'm very excited to to get to that because it's something that I'm uh, similar to the Evil Dead remake it's something that I'm passionate about but I'm not sure really where you know people generally stand and so I want to put I want to put my flag down I'm, I'm a fan well, and I'm extremely excited to find out uh, Army of Darkness comes up and they did get the rights, as I had kind of heard. So now I'm even more uh, excited to get back into it. So, Yes, yes. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Carrie well, with that. Um, go on, Aaron. Sorry. Hold on. I'm trying to think. What's a, what's a good quote? I was just thinking of a good quote to end it on. Yeah, I told you you could um, wrap it up. I don't know why I'm jumping in now. I'm good, host. Peter's bad host. <laughs> uh, and then Carrie can say, good, bad, I'm the guest. <laughs> there we go. Hail to the pod, baby. <laughs> good night. In the year 2525, if man is still alive, If woman can survive, they may find In the year 3535 Ain't gonna need to tell the truth, tell no lies Everything you think, do, and say Is in the pill you took today in the year 45, 45 Ain't gonna need your teeth, won't need your eyes You won't find a thing to chew Nobody's gonna look at you In the year 55, Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) 
Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>